Church, the most authentic thing that I felt I could do today was to share with you all that I have witnessed and heard and felt this week. And I know that may mean that you uh, need to step out of this room or that you um, want to take your children out of this room. And I just wanna tell you that now as I begin. Like you, I have gone through the gamut of emotions. I have been heartbroken, angry, overwhelmed, and terrified. On Monday night, I came across a post from a friend who is a teacher here in Nashville, and her very first line was, I process through writing. And I thought to myself, that's me. So I started to write. One of the first things that I identified was that this kind of tragedy happening in your neighborhood makes everything feel more real. And I wish that that wasn't the case. I wish that I had been doing something that perhaps could have prevented this tragedy every time that I had witnessed the same events in other places. I identified that in some ways, I feel very removed from it because I do not know these people personally Yet at the same time, I feel like I can't separate myself from it. I feel it viscerally, viscerally, deeply in my body. And maybe you feel that way too because this is our community and this is our collective suffering. I reflected on the story that we had just talked about the day before. This miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead when Lazarus walked out of the tomb, he was still wrapped in his grave clothes. There was a cloth across his face and his feet and his hands were still tied. And Jesus turned to the people that were standing there and said, untie him and let him go. And I told you that I realized in that moment that Jesus's solidarity in that suffering not only revealed that God weeps when we weep, but that God expects us to help untie and unbind people from the grip of death, that we are made to be a miracle in the midst of the miserable. We talked about the image of grief as a cup that we bear. This week in our pastor's note, I kind of took you back to the garden about Jesus actually asking God, will you take this cup from me? And I believe that God helped Jesus to hold on to it, that as we cry out to God this week and for the weeks to come, God comes to us and helps to hold our suffering. And that gives us a model to bear this cup together. I also told you that sometimes when we look at our own grief and we're, and we're holding it, we're walking around with it, we feel like we always have to attend to it, that it's not right to put it down and enjoy life and have joy and experience laughter. But I just felt convicted to tell you again, we have to put the cup of grief down. We have to go for walks, we have to turn off the phone, we have to look away from the news, we have to find our healthy outlets and use them. On Monday evening, like many of you, 
I hugged and kissed my children differently than I had that morning. As I bent down to put my daughter Madeline, who's one and a half, in her crib, she gripped my sleeve and she wrapped her legs around my waist. So I let her put her head back on my shoulder and I squeezed her tight and I prayed, God, please don't let this happen to my children. I wish that I could tell you that that made me feel better. But instead, in my spirit, I heard it doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how much good I do or how hard I pray. I thought about that pastor who lost his daughter and I asked myself, don't you think that he is good? God is not swayed by our works and God did not bring this about. In that moment, I felt God asking me to help make sure this does not happen to my children or anyone else's. There has been a lot of back and forth about prayer this week. And the truth is for me, I believe we need all understandings and all definitions of what constitutes prayer. Prayer is intercession. It is recalling someone and remembering them and holding them up. Prayer does provide comfort and strength. When we pray for these families, we are praying that they have the power to get out of bed in the morning, that somehow, some way, God will help them to keep on living. And we know that those kind of prayers work because we have felt it. We have felt the strength from God when people have said they are praying for us. Prayer also changes us. When we pray, our hard hearts are softened. Our perspectives are shifted. We feel the release of our sin and our shame and our guilt that we've been holding onto. When we pray, it is so our souls will be stirred and propelled into action. People are gonna wanna say it is either or, but I believe it's both and. We pray for peace for these families and we pray to be people who do something so this horrific reality stops. On Tuesday morning, we opened this very sanctuary from seven to 9.30 a mom and her two young girls dressed in their private school attire were the first ones through the door. Then next came a teacher who was about to go down to Harding Academy and facilitate a conversation with her fourth graders. Then a mom of two children who go to our children's center next door. And then teacher after teacher after teacher one who works right across the street from Covenant. On Wednesday afternoon, I went to Harmony Independent and Assisted Living Facility, where we now sort of have a ministry of our church. We go and we do Bible study and uh, the residents there watch worship. And I had not been able to meet these people face to face, so I went to get to know them, but I also said, you need a space to grieve what you are thinking. And one woman popped up, uh, piped up and she said, 
you know, I used to work for the mental health facilities run by this state. And even though I have some issues with them, I lament that they are now closed down, that many people cannot get the help that they need, that people are pushed out on the streets or imprisoned. Yesterday morning, someone in our congregation texted me a reflection from a former parent of Covenant. And when her children asked her why, this woman said, hurt people hurt people, and healed people heal people. And we agreed that as people of faith, we have to see those who are hurting and those who are in need of healing. On Thursday morning, 25 people from our church joined thousands of other people who went to the Capitol. Everyone was there for their own reasons. There were different cries and different chants and different signs. I didn't believe in everything I heard. I didn't believe in everything I read. I was there because I needed to hold a sign that said, not one more. I was there because I feel like something has to change and I don't know what it is and I don't know how to make it happen and I don't think there's a singular answer. Now, contrary to what some news outlets said about that day, it was peaceful. The state troopers were helping clear people and get them in the building. People were following their orders. Uh, one of our church members, Alex and I, we struck up a conversation with the trooper and got to know him and talked about all his connections to Bellmead UMC. That isn't to say that there weren't, wasn't anger or fear or grief. I heard many cries that day, but this is the one that really stuck with me. Save our kids. And most of the people who were saying that were kids themselves. They could have just as easily been saying, save us. Today's triumphal entry is about Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem for Passover. And as he enters, this crowd takes out palm branches and waves them and shouts, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. The word Hosanna can be interpreted Save us now. It's an allusion to Psalm 118, verse 25. And if you go back and read it, it says this, Lord, please save us. Lord, please let us succeed. This cry had a sense of urgency to it. The people were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This ritual reminder of God's saving deliverance from the hands of slavery. But there they stood, still under the hands of an oppressive empire, still in need of deliverance. Their urgent cry for a savior may never be more clear to us than it is this week. Save our kids. Lord, please save us. Lord, please let us succeed. I believe there is saving work that only Jesus can do. 
We cry out, save us now, Jesus. And Jesus saves in the way that only a God can save. And there is saving work that we can do as God's people. And we cry out, Lord, please let us succeed so there is life instead of death. If you go back to the events that led up to Jesus's entry into the city, you see that it was the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead that sets Jesus's own demise into motion. Chapter 11, verse 47 and 48, after this miracle, it says the chief priests and the Pharisees called together the council and they looked at one another and they said, what are we going to do? This man is doing too many miraculous signs and people believe in him. So verse 54 says the plot against Jesus began and he was no longer active in public ministry. Verse 56, it came time for the Passover and the people in the temple looked at each other and they started to ask, what do you think? He won't come to this festival, will he? And then it tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should report it so that they could arrest him. Chapter 12 begins six days before the Passover and Jesus shows up. He shows up in Bethany with Lazarus after he has raised him from the dead. He's at a meal and Mary, Lazarus' sister, takes out expensive perfume and anoints Jesus and gets down on the ground and wipes his feet with her hair. And people believe that she is anointing him for burial, that this is foreshadowing, this washing that he will do with his disciples before he is arrested. And then verses 9 through 11 tell us that the Jews learned where he was. And they came to see him in Bethany, and it was then that they decided that they would also get rid of Lazarus, because it was because of Lazarus that people believed. Verse 12, our verse for today, says the very next day, the very next day, after the Jews have learned where Jesus is, after he has sat at a meal with Lazarus and been anointed by Mary, this crowd went to the streets and they took their palm branches and they shouted, this is our king. I didn't realize it until this year, but every single one of those people put themselves at risk. The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should report it. What do you think they would have done to people who were out in the streets calling his name? Lazarus would be taken out because of his association with Jesus. Still, they shouted and hailed him as king. Now, what's even more important is that there were two processions that entered the city that day. Pilate, the king of the empire, came in from one side, and he was there in all his military grandeur, his, his armor, his weapons, his people, his impressive horses, his soldiers. And on the other side of the city, there came Jesus down from the Mount of Olives, this threatening miracle worker who was being hunted by the leaders of the city, lowly and sitting on a donkey's colt. And you know what he said? Do not be afraid. And these people made it clear 
who they were going to praise, and which kingdom they believed could truly usher in hope and abundant life. Some people this week have tried to tell us that there is nothing to be done, that we cannot do anything to end this violence, that we cannot prevent these tragedies, that we will never change laws, and even if we do, it won't matter. Maybe it does feel like it would take a miracle to reform our country and end this crisis. But guess what? We believe in the God of miracles. We believe in the one who was more powerful than any other way maker of wonders in his day. We believe in the name above all names, the king above all kings, the one who comes with peace and not weapons. We believe in the one who seeks and saves the lost, the one who sees the person hurting from trauma. So now it is our turn to be the crowd that takes a risk following this savior. It is our turn to publicly proclaim Jesus and to risk making people uncomfortable or being unliked or even being alienated because we refuse to believe that there is no other way to live than resigning our children to this violence. It is our turn to actively bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. May we have the audacity to believe that it's possible. May we take risks so not one more child or educator is harmed. May we be the people that hold on to hope, who see a way when others see no way, who believe with every fiber of our being that we can make a difference. Because if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? The cry is as urgent today as it was all those years ago. Lord, save us now. Lord, please let us succeed. Amen. Amen.